Back to the weekly rondo. I am your host, Nick Morales. Here joining me today is John McKenzie, host of the team of John O'Shea's podcast that hosted a brilliant summer series focusing on each of the teams in the Premier League, all 20 teams, and the dynamic that you know each of some of the, the most influential fans within that uh, within you know the coverage of those teams. Uh, he interviewed each of them and, and got a little bit of their their insight on each of the teams. John, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's always good to talk to you. I've had you on the podcast before, obviously. Um, but, you know, you recently finished, I believe, the the summer series, at least finished recording it, not mm. put all the episodes out, but you've you finished recording it, yes? I have, give or take, one give or, person's give or audio not being recorded, <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> which is, which is, which has happened, but we'll see. We'll work around it. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, just wanted to, to start off and mainly, you know, the, the, the main object of today's podcast will be, you know, sort of asking you about the the dynamic that you that you faced, you know, recording such an excellent series. So I guess to start off, what what sparked the idea of uh, recording all 20 episodes of and, and getting some insight? Obviously, it's a great idea, but, you know, what what motivation <laughs> did you have for that? Well, we run a weekly schedule through the season and obviously as soon as you get to the summer break, I was sort of at a bit of a loss to know what to do. So I realized that there was about a 10-week break-ish between the end of the Premier League finishing and the beginning of it, starting the next season. And I realized there's 20 teams in the Premier League, so I thought, well, I could probably do two a week because we, we run two episodes a week roughly anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I didn't realize quite how arduous a task it would have been <laughs> But yeah, we got there, and I, I, I have recorded all all twenty. Um, I've just got three more to edit and get out. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel I suppose I feel a certain sense of achievement having done that. But I'm mainly just tired. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do it again? Would is this something that you're planning on continuing to do every summer, perhaps? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I like to mix things up, so maybe I'll do it with a different league. But I, I don't know. Maybe by the time it comes next the end of next season again i'll want to go through the whole rigmarole again but we'll see (laughs) it's definitely a difficult task getting people that you don't know on your podcast to record things and and you know a lot of people are nice within the community on twitter and i assume that's how you got the majority of the people to to come on your podcast but i definitely have some personal experience and you know difficulty getting all these sorts of people and you know not only not only that but getting people that can you know, adequately speak on the subject, you know, for example, for the Manchester City podcast, I was the only guy on there. And I think it was, I I had a great time. I don't know about you, but I think it was a good podcast. But obviously, it's, there are some difficulties that you face in the the logistics of it. Um, But I guess I wanted to ask you, and maybe this is where we can start our real debate or conversation is, you know, I had a similar idea when Nipun allowed me to have this space for um, my podcast on the ULF network. And I said, you know, I want a grounds eye view of each of each club in the Premier League because I feel as though, you know, the, the mainstream media as you talk about in your podcast is it's very limited to, to what they do because the, the there are teams that we care about and there are teams that we don't care about. And mm. 
I'll, I'll, you know, getting a perspective of someone that actually cares about those teams, actually supports those teams is something I think is valuable. But one thing that I would say that I wouldn't say, you know, is any detriment to or any failing of, of your ability. But one thing that maybe I was a little bit disappointed with um, in listening to the to the series was um, the fact that a lot of them seem since they weren't coming at it from a tactical perspective or maybe an analytics perspective or a numbers perspective a lot of them seem to say the same thing and talk about mm. how their club you know wants this and wants that and they you know they need a striker or a lot of the analysis seemed to be very consistent around certain areas of the premier league especially not at the top um i think it diversified within you know the top 8 but a lot of the analysis seem to be the same. You know, we're a very special club. Everybody seems to think that they're a special club. So hmm. what are some of the, you know, are, did you find some of those consistencies? Did you think everybody was the same? Or did you find some some very different points of view in, in terms of each club? Yeah, I think the first thing to say would be that in many respects, I didn't really know what I was getting a lot of the time. I, I would sound people out to find fans of their club who were well-respected, etc. And I generally tried to get podcasters mainly because logistically it's easier to deal with people who know what they're doing. Right. Uh, but also because these fans, they expend a lot of time and energy and money on their club. So it makes sense to go to them. In terms of what you're saying, I, I, I do hear what you're saying insofar as I think we do football analysis now in a, in a sort of post mainstream media age. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a general assumption about what, doing football analysis or just the very act of talking about football what we do when we do that i think is is uh, has become very um i don't want to say cloistered but i think you know when you're watching match of the day which the majority of these people do every week the assumption is is that tactical analysis is what is being done by um, alan shearer or um Jermaine Genus, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, there's a certain amount of value in that. But like you say, the, the biggest disappointment I think I have with with the mainstream media is the fact that they do talk about the top six and then you kind of get whatever's left over at the end for everyone else. But in terms of, I mean, in, in terms of tactical analysis, I think you've got to be aware when you're doing something like this that if you want a fan's eye view of what's going on at a club, you have to be willing to accept the fact that many fans don't care about the tactical side of things. Nice. Um, if you're getting someone who's going to the games week in, week out, the majority of them will just latch onto small um, aspects of, of the way the game's being played, and that will be the, the things that are important for them. And I think there's value to that. I don't think you... I mean, if the question is, how do we make our talking about football more interesting? And the answer to that is we, we become more and more granular at the level of statistics, then you're alienating a huge amount of the fan base at that point. So I tried in this podcast series to be as neutral as possible, um, which was actually quite hard for me to do <laughs> uh, because I, I am I don't, I don't, not outspoken, but I, I do think that a little bit of... I think disagreement is important um, in in debate because I think it, you you I think all debate is dialectic. You you operate from different positions, and yeah, okay, maybe you won't ever come to a point of of, of harmony or synthesis. But I think that the, the 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 main motivator, the main motor behind a lot of conversations about football, they start from having positions of, of entirely different starting points, and and you work your way slowly towards some kind of. Uh, acceptance of what the other position is and I think that's really important so 
it's a fairly roundabout answer for me. But yeah, I, I do think that I would have liked to hear tactical analysis, but I was doing a fan-based right. coverage of what of what was going on. And what I think interests me more about these clubs is hearing about what's going on in in the boardrooms, what's going on in youth academies, what's going on in it, it, on the training field, of course. But there is a whole there's a whole gamut of different things going on, mm. and. I also try to get a flavor of what it's like to be a fan because I think we've got this, like you say, there's this very, very sort of universal idea of what it means to support a football team. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that that's true at all. I think my experience of being a Leeds United fan are entirely different to my friend who, who is a Manchester United fans experience or my friend who is a Stoke city fan. And I think we, we've, we've, almost made this hierarchy where there are more and less legitimate ways of being a football fan. And I, I do think that statistics can play into that. Of course, you know, this idea that, that, uh, that there is a metric and there will be someone at the top of that metric means necessarily that Barcelona are a de facto better team mm. than, than Leicester city, whatever. Um, and, and so it, it does reduce down the dialogue to, simply then how do we dis distinguish between who is better and who is worse so i did try and give an, a, a a space for people to talk about their clubs in a way that i think would have been done 50 years ago if you were watching these clubs what would a fan of burnley have said 50 years about their club mm. ago about their clubs and i think that's generally similar to what's going on here we need a new striker i don't really like this defender i don't think he's that good um and so the the sort of qualif qualifiers and criteria you have for discussing that will will change through time Okay. I guess the reason that I stress, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess the reason that I stress the tactical analysis part of it is not only because I'm, you know, interested in it, I guess part of that community, but also because I feel like that's where a lot of the differentiation comes from. Like you said, there are many, you know, legitimate ways of supporting your football club or being a football fan. And I think there are many different divisions within the analysis and, and sort of the coverage of that. Uh, Flav Bateman, for example, someone that um, appears a lot on Ball Street and, and, you know, I think is the host of the Fighting Cock podcast, which is, I think, one of the more popular Spurs podcasts out there. Um, you know, him and I don't see eye to eye on how we view the game, I think, because, but he, he said it, he, you know, explained himself very well on a, on a podcast with uh, the guys at the front three, which is where, you know, he says, I appreciate that there are people that look at the game differently than I do from a tactical perspective or from a statistical perspective. Um, but what I'm covering and the people that I want to speak to are the people that look at the game in the same way that I do in terms of being a football fan, you know, singing and doing all that stuff. And I personally have no idea what that's about because not only have I only been to one Premier League game, but I don't live in the UK. So I'm not really part of that typical, you know, atypical fan culture. And so not only am I not that interested in it, but I can't really partake in it because it kind of requires a sense of being in a certain place to be part of it. So I can appreciate that he covers and panders towards that perspective. I guess, like I said before, the reason that I'm interested in the tactical analysis is because I don't have the time to watch 20 different Premier League teams and get the gist of 20 different Premier League teams and how they play and the nuances of their systems, even though that interests me because mm. I would literally sit in my room all day and watch football games, which I don't have the time to. I kind of wish I did, but I don't have the time <laughs> to. Um, and so I guess from that perspective, that's like when I had that original idea of a year ago of when I wanted to do my podcast, I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get somebody on to talk about the specific, the specific shortcomings of how Burnley or Stoke or, you know, 
Leicester or someone else play because mm. I don't feel like it's touched on enough. We know how Manchester United play. We know how Manchester City play. We know how Liverpool play. I I could tell you honestly that I didn't see a single Stoke game last season because I missed the Manchester City one. So <laughs> I it's that that I guess that's the reason that I wanted to 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 get a a better idea of that, but at the same time maybe we can move on to I like the, the, the point that you touched on in, in what it means to be a football fan and also advancing the conversation as two people that work in the medium of football analysis. I mean, do you think, like, because like you said, the majority of people who watch Match of the Day think that the tactical analysis is done by someone like Alan Shearer or done by the likes of Gary Lineker or Gary Neville or whoever. Do you think that there is adequate space within, you know, the football analysis realm because to, to have that analysis, because I think within all of these levels of looking at the game in different ways, there are these discrepancies that I write off someone who doesn't look at the game in my specific way that wants to tell me something about how I think, I think about how a team performed, you know, Mm. like I said, I listened to the majority of the podcasts and, you know, they just said that this player was shit but they didn't have anything to back it up. They just have some subjective point and they didn't have, and everybody's opinion is subjective. Even, you know, even, you know, Michael Cox or Jonathan Wilson, but there is, there are opinions that, ha- that are grounded in a little bit more empirical evidence, I guess, to some extent hmm. um, than others. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, the, the divisions within, within how people look at the game and, and not only that, but the content that is produced because of that. I think that there is interesting tactical analysis being done on match of the day. And, uh, you know, of course we're never going to have a match of the day being done by tactically astute people in the way that you would like to have it done. Because as you say, you're a tactically astute person and you watch Man City, but the sort of logistical <laughs> arrangements that you would need to have a match of the day where there was 20 people, each specializing in each of their teams would would be would be too much i think the the, the question is how do you i mean what we're talking about here is the very level of what it means to be a football fan um because it's all well and good being a man city fan and caring about tactics because it's, that's a kind of interesting thing to do at the moment because they have pep guardiola uh, managing them but let's go back to the example of stoke right if you're a stoke fan you're not going to get interesting tactical nuance week in, week out. So if you're a Stoke supporter, what is it that you're looking for in supporting a football team? I, I think there's a legitimate sense in which, you know, you've just got to get on with it and say, this is going to be far from ideal in many respects. I'm just going to get on and, and support the team, hope they win. And yeah, but th- I'm sure there are people who do very interesting tactical <laughs> uh, analyses of <laughs> some of the, the centre table teams. Mm-hmm. Um, if your question is, should everyone care about analytics? I don't see why you would be able to argue that without simply suggesting that the only way that you can distinguish between uh, watching teams is at the level of the data that's going on behind the scenes. Now, it may play a part in that. It may be that if you like counter-attacking football, an analyst, an, an analyst could come along and say, here's the explanation for why you like this team. This is what they do. But I think the, the actual face value, what you get, I think you can have an appreciation about that without actually realizing what it is that's going on behind the scenes. The question then becomes, to what extent do you need that fleshing out, that that explanation? 
and to what extent can you just enjoy it at face value? I mean, I don't want to become cliched, but if you take, for example, if you go to an art gallery, you can enjoy art without knowing anything about art. Mm-hmm. You can probably enjoy art in a different way, knowing about the art. And um, those two, those two different levels of enjoyment are entirely different. Yeah, I completely things. agree. I think there's like, I think that actually touches really well on, on a point that I kind of mull over in my, my brain pretty consistently. Like I have some friends that, you know, I'm in, <laughs> it may shock some people out there to hear this, but I'm into the analysis of pretty much anything. <laughs> um, I like to look at films and, and their deeper meaning and try to discern that on my own. And then if somebody else, you know, creates a, a YouTube video of some analysis of, you know, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the latest, um, Christian Nolan film, then I'm all for that. I love, you know, knowing things and sort of the, the interworkings of them, the deeper meaning, especially within literature and, and, and art and film and stuff like that. And, and as well as football. Um, but then there are my friends who, you know, they go see those fast and furious movies that have absolutely no depth and they can enjoy that as well. So maybe it is in fact, a deeper conversation as to how people like to enjoy things. You know, there, there's a big difference and there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do things. I just, I feel like there's a deeper enjoyment to everything. If you can yeah. understand, I guess the nuance of how it works and, and the, all the, the question is, go into it. the question is the fundamental notion of like truth or reality or whatever is out there. Right. Yeah. I think, I think people have different ways of enjoying the reality that's out there. And I think, whilst it can be frustrating, but people do just like to go and shout at a football match because you feel as though there is something out there that you're trying to articulate. That doesn't mean to say that there has to be that articulation. And I think what I've found so interesting about this podcast series, I mean, and, and I think I have a really odd relationship to it, right? Cause I did, I did 20 interviews with people in the space of 10 weeks mm-hmm. and I'm asking very, I'm asking similar questions. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, direct these questions towards the fans of teams in certain ways, but generally the the structure was the same. And I think that's that's one of the one of the strengths of, of what I chose to do is that, I, and I was lucky in that. It wasn't that I put a huge amount of thought to it, but I did go through. Well, what did you, what did we see last season? What we seen happen over the summer break? What we're going to see next season? And the problem is, is that you you because you're doing that that same interview over and over again, you do sort of you do sort of get lost in this groundhog day. Um, you you're listening to people say similar things about their teams you know and every team has the same football football is not complicated i think is the end is what i want to say at the end of the day it really isn't and i think we can make it as complicated as we like but at the end at the end of the day there's 20 teams in the premier league they have youth systems that are all being developed in the same way they have transfer systems that are all being done in the same way where the differentiation comes from is i think as far as i can tell pretty much money you have managers doing tactically interesting different things obviously but at the level of fans turning up there is there is a level of commensurability between all of these things and yeah i i do want to find out what's what's difference different between these things i went in it expecting there to be more novelty for sure mm-hmm. but you've got to you've got to you, you can't come up to the end of this kind of series and be like well I, I feel as though we still i don't have a handle on everything and it's coming back to this thing that we we're talking about before which is this idea that what we're trying to do is articulate something that is outside of us something that goes on something that takes place and we're trying to come to terms with it and there's always going to be an extent to which Whenever you do that kind of thing, you do it in everything. Like we said, we've 
talked about art, but it happens in science as well. Science is an attempt to articulate the reality that's outside of us. And there's always going to be people that are going to be like, you know what? I don't feel as though we've quite reached reality the way that we would like to have reached it. Mm-hmm. And so it will carry on going. There will always be, there will always be that um, continuance of um, attempt to articulate what's going on. And I think even if you had what you wanted, if you had 20 people, 40 people coming onto a podcast, experts in the tactics of a, of, of a side, you would still get to the end of those hours of, episode, of the episode and you'd still feel as though this has been a good discussion, but there's still something that I want to talk about. I still, I still feel as though my words haven't entirely fitted properly. Mm-hmm. That's just the, the nature of reality, I think. But for me, the, this podcast was about saying, it was more about thinking, why do I think that the way that I think is right? It's good to be put outside of my comfort zone and say, you know what? I have a very specific way of enjoying football, of, of enjoying of thinking about football. But I'm not necessarily going to be the the, the person who's arrived at, at the right way of doing it. And and, and so it's, it is good to remind yourselves that football is incredible because the universalism that we have there is the fact that people can, can enjoy it in different ways. I can really enjoy one player who someone else thinks is guff. Uh, at the end of the day and and I think that's interesting I, th- I think it's to be protected because I think that the way that football is going is that everything is going towards this sort of universalized and that's all to do with money no doubt but this one way of enjoying things this one way of understanding things and we have to protect that diversity that we have now and we are at risk of losing the diver- <clears throat> excuse me the diversity to enjoy things in different ways I I can totally get on board with that um so I guess the next question would be what was your what was your favorite podcast to record if you can single one out? I think the the podcasts that I enjoyed recording were were more about the repartee that I had with the people on them. Mm-hmm. Um now that may not necessarily mean to say that some people were better at repartee than others and a lot of it I think is to do with the fact that sometimes I was tired and didn't feel as, as effervescent. Right. Um, but, you know, I think, again, this comes down to the fact that when you're, when I was recording the podcast, I'm not thinking necessarily about the content per se. You don't sit down and think, have I got the right sort of information? Obviously, there's some of that goes on, and I try and tweet the questions as I go through to to try and drive home points that I think should be driven home, or I, I want to emphasize aspects that haven't been emphasized in my questions, whatever. Um, but I... There were some that I I got some people on who were very good interlocutors. They were very fun to talk to, and I actually, because I wasn't really interjecting as much as I can say on this podcast, it meant that they were they were driving the discussion, uh, and I was uh, sort of interacting with them. So I actually surprised myself because I'm usually quite picky about content, and if someone says something that I don't usually like, I will usually pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was quite a nice. Um, exercise in letting that be, allowing the the two guys, for example, who were United fans, to wax lyrical about Pogba without pushing my <laughs> pushing my interpretation, pushing, pushing your anti-Pogba agenda against them. Yeah, and I mean, again, this is the this is the thing. I I don't like to think that I have an anti-Pogba agenda because I like to think that if Pogba has a good season this season, I will change my view on him. And again, that's what this is about. That's what this notion of dialectic discussion is. It's the idea that you know, your point of view is never 
concretized. It's always uh, available to be to be tweaked. And this comes back to I, I had a bit of a Twitter rant yesterday or the day before yesterday maybe about the nature of disagreement in sports writing. And I think because having thought on it with uh, Michael Cox, right? Um, well, it was in light of my discussion oh, with yeah. Michael Cox, not, and in that born of in it, that yeah. discussion, I I actually stepped back and said, you know, I think I was wrong in my original point. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many respects, I think that's not a very football Twitter thing to do. Not many people on Twitter will say, "Sorry, I was wrong." And I think that's what I—that's what it is that I miss about football Twitter. That's the—that's the thing that I want more sports writers to be able to do, to be aware of the fact that you know what we're all trying to do—we're all engaged in this project of trying to talk about football, which is this, as we've said, this multifaceted, diverse, non-transparent thing. It gives it—it gives itself. It gives us itself to us in in certain ways. It reveals itself to us. But there's always like, like I said, this you always get to this point where you're like I I feel as I'm onto something, but I just can't quite grasp it, right? You, and you'll know what that feels like being a doing statistical analysis. You know, statistical analysis is, of football is always saying, well, one day we may reach this point where we do this. Same as science, and that's where we should be getting at. And I think so much of football Twitter's discussions end up just being. I guess I'm. This is the battlefield I'm going to fight on, and I'm never going to budge ground. Uh, and I think that, I think that's really important for football. Do you do you also uh, think generally. though that there there uh, there's a few things that I'll say to that because I definitely understand your point. But there, I think there are two main things with that, and one would be that I get what you're saying in terms of it need it, like the conversation always feels like it needs to be someone is right, someone is wrong, and there's a very poor nature of disagreement, but. There's two factors to that, which is the medium in which we talk about it on, which is Twitter specifically. And then also yeah. the monetary effect or the, well, yeah, the monetary effect that it has on on people like, for example, Cox, because Nathan and I, tri- Triple T Tactics, were having, you know, just a, a, a Skype discussion the other day because I, I don't feel like, you know, DMing him all the time. And we were just talking about the nature of things within, you know, the medium and the medium in which we both operate. And mm. You know, it's not within Jonathan Wilson or Michael Cox's, and those are the only two names I can really say. It's not within their interest to concede points to everyone that, you know, debates something with them because they've created a brand in and of themselves that people say, okay, Jonathan Wilson has this point on this game, so that means that his point is right. Because since tactical analysis is still so nuanced and not part of the mainstream, people really only trust these voices that they've you know, heard for so long or that are employed by mainstream media entities, right? And yeah. so if people yeah, no. are, if people are, if they're conceding points to people, then that takes away from their credibility. And then also a point that I made sort of about the medium in which we discuss it, discuss it, which is Twitter. I think as we move forward and we talk about the accessibility of ideas in, you know, the modern age with social media being so prominent within that, I think Twitter is really the ultimate exhibit right now. You know, I can see your thoughts. I can readily access your thoughts at any given point point in the day. But the medium in which I'm allowed to debate that, which is Twitter, 140 characters and the way that we, you know, shoot it towards one another isn't an, isn't an adequate space to debate that. We yeah. can see each other's ideas, but we can't talk about them. Yeah, and I think there's a two, two things I would say. That. I mean, to your first point, you're saying these guys are developing this brand whatever you yeah. want to call it and I, I can see that and then the second point is is that actually twitter sort of allows you to see what what people are saying my, my issue isn't with either of the contents of those two things it's to do with the form of the way that discussion happens mm-hmm. i don't think that football 
writers should have to feel as though if they concede a point, that therefore their authority is questioned. In many respects, the people I respect most in life, the people who I think are the most intelligent, are the people who are so aware of what's the various uh, issues at stake that they can say, actually, I'm going to step back here and I'm going to admit that I was wrong. Um, same with the same with Twitter. I mean, Twitter's Twitter is hell. Let's admit it. Every, everything on Twitter is death. But we have to do it. It's a totalizing system because, you know, if you don't have Twitter, how do you, as a freelancer, how do you get any of your promo done? But right. the same, yeah, my my same issue would be true of Twitter. Why have we got to this point where we have to consider debates to be won or lost in terms of who we think has saved face? rather than actually the, the discussion that's, that's gone on. I think between, um, sorry to interrupt you, but I think between, I totally get what you're saying, but I think that's just the nature in which people think about things in general. There are people that think about it from your perspective. There are people that think about it with a little bit more depth and say, you know, yes, I totally agree in the sense that the people that I respect the most as well aren't the ones that are battling, yeah. dying on every hill and, and assuming that they're correct. You know, I'm, you know, it's not Stephen Housen, but it is those that are, it, it is those people that are aware enough to say, you know, I, I, we don't know anything for sure. And that's a perfectly valid point. And yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. But I think just the, the, the general mass of people acknowledge yeah. the fact that, or see it as a truth that someone that is claims to be always correct and seems to be always correct is the, better person or the the more intelligent one. Yeah. yeah, and I think and I'm as guilty of this as the next person, but you can have fairer or unfairer interpretations of people. You can go out of your way to try and accommodate people's ideas. And I certainly need to do that better. I can be a little bit caustic sometimes on Twitter. Um and I think the reason it comes off badly sometimes is precisely because just because I have this sort of form of how Twitter debate happens, which is I'm going to start off with a controversial uh, statement, then we'll have some discussions and I'll probably back down. That's the way that, and that's the way that you work when you go through academia. I, I spent a long time in academia where you have to differentiate yourself, but then you have to make people aware of the fact that you recognize nuance and stuff. And I suppose what I want to see in, in Twitter is just generous interpretation, you know, it doesn't have to be done in this way, which is, you said this, you're a moron, which is what a lot of football Twitter does. There's two ways of it, it does it. One of them is, yeah, someone makes a statement and the response is, you're a moron. That's it. Uh, or the other one is, no engagement whatsoever. Um, now, that's not to say that football writers need to engage with people. But, you know, you live by the Twitter, you die by the Twitter. And these people are using Twitter for a purpose. If that purpose is to do their own promo, if that is to interact with people, then they, they have to be held to those standards in some sense. So, yeah, I, I want to see more generous Twitter debate um, because it's easy to get carried away with the com competitiveness of sports writing thinking oh it's a really small field i'm not going to make it whatever it doesn't have to be like that if, if you're writing because you love football there's space for everyone to talk about football now that doesn't mean to say that everyone's going to be paid for it but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing i think one of the the best realizations i came to this summer was in real recognizing you know at the moment i don't make my full-time living writing about football mm. i have a chance to to do a lot of football analysis in the in the ways that i want to do it and that's great and that you know it's not like i'm trying to get beyond that 
that's what I want to do. If I have the chance to be able to write about football, if I have the chance to record podcasts about football, then I'm doing it right. If someone is willing for, to pay me for doing that full time or more full time than I am now, that's great too. But it's not, you shouldn't, we shouldn't view this as a sort of comp- competition because I love football and I want to write about football because I find it so vast and diverse and interesting. And uh, again, it brings me back to the summer break thing. I, I think it's it's good that we can have fans who think that the most important thing about football is, I don't know, we've got a big brutish central midfielder who gets stuck in. And and and, I, and that's fine. I, mean, I will disagree with that until the day that I die. But I'm happy that there are people like that out there because it's only when we have this diversity that we actually have an audience because the, the fewer, the fewer opinions we have means the fewer people are, are interested in it. So that's my big, my big point this summer on football writing or even sports writing in general is cherish um, diversity because diversity makes sports better. It makes our enjoyment of the sports better and it makes the actual field of sports writing better. With that, you know, with that being said, I, like the point that you made there um, about, you know, maybe someone enjoys having a big brutish central midfielder and enjoying the game in different ways. Do you also feel like there's a delegitimization of that point in the sense that there are people out there that can say you're enjoying football the wrong way because if you enjoy football this way and that way doesn't garner results because football is a, re- a results based, you know, entity, I guess that there's that element of you're right and I'm wrong because my team is better. Yeah. I think, I mean, again, let's go back to something like art. For example, I recognize that the music of Bach is good. I don't ever sit down really and listen to the music of Bach, but I recognize that it's good. Mm. I listen to other music that I recognize it isn't so good. I, I can listen to ABBA, I'll admit it, and and enjoy it. Uh, you can have too much ABBA, don't get me wrong. But my point here is is that's we should have the same attitude to football, right? You can watch Manchester City and recognise that they are good without necessarily enjoying watching them play. Oh, definitely. And I definitely agree. Um, what I'm saying is the nature of the sport, since it is a sport and it is, since it is a results-based you know, mm. thing, people can say, you're right and I'm wrong because my team wins more. And that may be wrong because they're enjoying it right. in the incorrect way or they're enjoying it because of the results, but there yeah. is that tendency to say, you're right and I'm wrong because my team just won the league and you got relegated. Yeah, and I think the way that you negotiate that sort of argument, I think there's probably there's probably a few approaches to it. One of them would be to say that there is a correlation between playing well and winning. Um, now, I don't know how you would necessarily want to, to hash that out as an argument, but I think there are some sports where the better you play, the more likely you are to win. There are some sports like that. Snooker, I think, is the best example I can think of where playing attractively will always mean that you will probably win. Not always the case, but the, there is that correlation between the, the, those two things. And the reason why football is fun is because that correlation is very loose, right? You can play really attractive football and lose. Um, and you can play really the, ugly football and, and win. And win, yeah, exactly. So you've got to you've got to be aware of the fact that you know to just pick out winning as a as a metric that is good enough to determine whether or not something is worthwhile doing is is clearly just wrong. Mm. But that doesn't mean to say then we should say that winning isn't important at all. Um, and I think you, I mean this is the the lesson of of Arsenal in the sort of late two thousands. 
they they tried to play what Arsene Wenger gets away with talking about football quite philosophically. And as a result of that, he is able to have a team that doesn't win very much because he's <laughs> developed this notion that his team play beautiful football, which I think is actually questionable some of the time. But he's the, the point is is that between you know the, between Marie, Jose Mourinho on one side, who has this sort of winning is that's it. You, you don't need to think of anything beyond winning on one side, and then Arsene Wenger on the other, who seems to be saying the complete opposite that it doesn't matter about winning as long as you're playing beautiful football. I think there's probably a more ideal position in between those two points, and that that point is, you know, playing attractive football because it's more likely to make you win if you can find that out. I think that there has to be enough of a realization for people who watch football that it is more enjoyable to watch your team score lots of goals. Um, and if you score lots of goals, you are more likely to win. That's that's just a truth. So I think that would be how, how I'd approach it there. But at the same time, you know, again, we have to we have to be aware that there are these differences of of, of doing things. And I don't think again, it, it's like it's it's like applying winning to something like foot, uh, to something like art and saying, let's take music again. I mean, who who won music? No one. Um, some people do it better than others. Other, you can you can choose different metrics by which to determine winning. I mean, you could do the same with football. You win a match. Does, does that is, is that different to winning a league? Is that different to winning a ten year like period of, of games, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Or you could win in terms of possession over five minutes. You can take any metric you like and make it into this is the thing that is most important. If matches were shorter or longer, for example, you, some teams would win some games that they would lose other games because they're 10 minutes later. Right? Um, and that's, that's kind of my, my point is kind of how do, we, how do we talk about football without just saying that it's just this sort of sociological point that people like to throw out that, well, at the end of the day, if nothing is meaningful, if, if nothing can be, if meaning can't be entirely a hundred percent deduced from looking at something, then there is no meaning. I don't think that's true. I think there's, that's precisely my point. I think football is very meaningful. The problem is those, those meanings are very, very hard to actually arrive at. So I think we have to, whenever people say winning is, is, is the only thing we can really go with. I think it's just a boring approach to, to football. I think be more, be more creative in the way that you do view football. Definitely. Definitely. I think you're right about that. Um, so with that being said, getting back to the original point, which is the team of John O'Shea's summer series. We went um, on quite a tangent there. Didn't I we? know, but but it's good. That's what we're here for. This is, this is, this is loose. Um, so, you know, what was your, uh, did, did you, did you feel like you accomplished your goal with the, with the summer series or do you, like we said before, I mean, there's always something that, Maybe we want to delve into a little bit more, but do you feel like it was a, it achieved all the things that you wanted it to? Yeah, I don't really know what I thought I wanted to achieve with it, other than allowing fans the capacity to talk about their clubs in a bit more of a less uh, processed way than we usually get. I mean, my my issue is is that the mainstream media has become so small now; it's really really narrow that you're team is only ever going to be commentated on or pundited on by people who aren't fans of the team and therefore you know if someone like Miguel Delaney is writing about the top 10 teams in the Premier League for example and then maybe some of the major clubs around Europe he's necessarily not going to have as much knowledge about those clubs as 
people who run a, a podcast for that club and go to all the pre-season games, et cetera, et cetera. So my goal was to allow fans to have a voice um, that would open them up to a, a greater audience. Um, and yeah, I, I did attempt to try and develop my questions so that they were bringing out interesting aspects and facets of, of their club. But at the same time, you've got to be aware that when I'm doing that, I'm thinking, right, I'm talking about Everton today. What are the interesting things about Everton? And already you're sort of imposing the narrative onto those clubs. So I was, I was aware that I wanted to give as much space in those um, questions as, as would allow the fans to talk about what they wanted to talk about. I think if I did it again, perhaps I would be a little bit more looser on the questions and not have it quite so scripted uh, and just sort of say, this is the theme we're talking about here. This is the theme we're talking about here and, and maybe go with that a bit more because I felt sometimes I was actually, um, I, I don't know, forcing the discussion into certain, certain ways. And, and there are interesting avenues that we could have just taken up and gone, but then you're, you're, you've you want to cover the general, uh, basis that, uh, so I think I, I achieved my goal I mean was to just do it <laughs> let's be honest I wanted to see that I can do interviews with with fans from every team and create something that people enjoyed and if I did it again I probably would do it differently but yeah brilliant well I think we've had a pretty good discussion about the team of John O'Shea's summer series folks if you haven't heard it you can head over to I believe it's team of John right yeah, that's a team of John O'Shea's. There is an A at the beginning. A team of John O'Shea's.com. Sorry. So head over yeah, there. Yeah, there isn't an A on our Twitter uh, handle. That's the, that's the thing. That's the caveat there. Um, <laughs> There's no S at the end of the Twitter <laughs> handle. <laughs> you got all sorts of It's a of really bad Twitter things. handle. Exactly. Um, but yeah, head over there. Listen to all of them or one of them or whatever you want to do. It's a really good series. I was on there twice. Uh, Manchester, Manchester City and Southampton, which people gave me shit for. Um, but, you know, I felt like I had enough I had enough knowledge about the two clubs to, to speak on both, and I was happy to help John out with that. So go check it out if you haven't already. John, where can the good people of the, the Weekly Rondo podcast find your work? Sorry? Where can the good people of the podcast find your work? Yeah, if you – most of my stuff is on Twitter. So if you go to John underscore McKenzie, and that's J-O-N – mckenzie um with an a so john underscore mckenzie um is my twitter handle and everything that i do basically goes on there at some point so uh, if you want to follow the podcast like i say it's team of john o'shea with no s uh, twitter handle i'm considering changing it but i'm not entirely sure whether or not that's a good idea we'll see who knows who knows all right well hopefully we'll have you on soon again for a little bit of a longer discussion we had to deal with some time constraints today on my end but Thank you for coming on once again, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week.